All right. Well, once again, it is Family Sunday, something we do here at Gateway every fifth Sunday uh, because we believe in families worshiping together. We believe that children and students should be a part of the adult worship service from time to time. And there's a lot of factors that play into the 50 to 70% of students that leave the church after graduation. Uh, But I believe that one of those is because they never attend an adult worship service as they're growing up. They're kind of in their children's ministry or student ministry bubble, and they're never forced to be outside of that. And so uh, once that they graduate and they're on their own, then it's kind of like, surprise. Uh, and, and so I know as an 18-year-old, it was hard to accept that I'm a part of the adult stuff now. There's not something special for me. Uh, you know, a lot of churches have tried that, and there's obviously that's awesome when there's a ministry to that. We try to uh, have things for our young adults, but I think a big part of why they stopped coming is if I was an 18-year-old that suddenly was just dropped into an adult worship service, I think I would not come either. Uh, in fact, I didn't. Uh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. I didn't come as an 18-year-old. I stopped going for that very reason. And so rather than wall off our next generation ministries here at Gateway, our goal is to include our children and students as into the overall body of what we're doing here at Gateway. They are as much a part of Gateway as any of us as adults. And so we also recognize the reality, though, and that reality is that they learn differently, and most of the time they'd rather be in their own space. But Family Sundays, these fifth Sundays of the month, provide a great opportunity for all of us to be together. And this morning, I say parents of younger children, hang in there. We'll try to get through this together. Uh, This morning, we're heading into week five of our series called Faith with Doubt. And throughout this series, we've been saying that it's okay to have questions and doubts in your faith. And really, it's it's really important that our our children and students know that it's okay to have doubts and questions in your faith. What matters is that we have enough confidence in our faith to actually seek out the answers that we can and the humility in our faith to know that there are some questions that can't be answered. There is evidence of God all around us, and we have to trust his existence enough to investigate him further, knowing that, when there, that he is true and the truth can be found. We don't have to be afraid of that. But we also have to know that the nature of faith means that there's going to be some mystery. There are some questions that we cannot answer in this life. Now this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 as we look at our next root cause of doubt, and that is a stalled growth. Now with this being Family Sunday, we wanted to mix it up a little bit, try to make it a little fun for everybody. And so I'm going to ask all of you all of you, to help me with my message today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask Piper and Luke to also come up on stage with me uh, because they are going to help you help me. Now, this all works together. Hello and welcome. <clears throat> this, here you are. And uh, after you're not, you're in the expected closeness now. Okay, all right. Uh, all right. We've done this first service and it went pretty well, but all right. So, Here's how this is going to go. We're going to, I'm going to go through the story of Luke chapter 8, or in Luke chapter 8, and I have asked Piper and Luke to come up here today because they don't have anything better to do with it being Family Sunday, and uh, so I needed to put them to work somehow, and so uh, this is how it's going to happen. So we're going to, they're going to, it's going to be a series of actions or things to say as I read through this story. Now, uh, I've asked Piper and Luke to come up and help you 
help me get through the story. And we also are going to have the list of actions up on the screen here. Now, you'll notice, hopefully, maybe you can tell that the words on the left are bold, uh, boat, disciples, wind, waves, and Jesus. And so each of those words has an at- uh, something attached to it, some sort of action attached to it. And Piper and Luke are going to help you through that. And so before we get into this, we're going to go through each one and we're going to show you uh, how to do this. And so adults, don't be a stick in the mud. You know how to do it. You can read. Uh, and, and so you can help all of the kids as we get through this uh, together. So Here's, here's the first. All right, here we go. We're going to get through each one. And so if I say boat, everybody is going to go creak and pretend you're pulling hard on the oars, okay? All right. Participation was low, but it'll get better. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I would have thought, but it's okay. All right. So next we have disciples. And for this one, just the boys and the men will follow Luke and you will count to 12 for the 12 disciples really fast. All right. So I will say disciples and you'll say, (laughs) there's often a thing when there's two services that the first service, the first service, you're nervous and then you do it right. And then you get cocky and then you can't count to 12. All right. So All right, so then, that's disciples. Now we're on to wind, and this is for the girls and the women, and Piper will show you how to cup your hands around your mouth and blow. All right, now... Yes, yes, they're just, spoiler alert, there will be different degrees, okay? All right, the next is waves, and you will put your hands side by side and make waves in front of you. All right, and then the last one is Jesus, and you will point upward and say, Christ the Lord. All right, everybody got it? You're feeling pretty confident. It works better if everybody's doing it that way. Nobody looks like the cool kid in school. All right, here we go. All right, 12, 12, you got it? All right, all right, all right. We're not even going with 11. This is pre-Judas. Okay, here we go, all right. Here we go. Everybody stick together because it's a scary story, and we don't want to get too scared as we go through it. So here we go. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8. Here we go. The disciples. All right, thank you. We're just exhausted. All day, crowds and crowds of people had been following Jesus, listening as he taught and watching as he healed the sick. Now, the sun was beginning to set over the Sea of Galilee. Seeing how tired his disciples were, Jesus said, let's get in a boat and go over to the other side of the lake. It would be good for all of them to get away from the crowds for a while. The disciples... Road from a uh, road away from the shore, while Jesus Christ the Lord. went to the front of the boat Please. to lay down on a cushion. The waves lapped gently against the side of the boat, Please. lulling Jesus into a peace. Oh, I'm sorry, lulling Jesus. Christ the Lord. And, I know, I'm sorry. Into a peaceful sleep. But suddenly, a wind began to blow. Dark clouds across the sky. The waves weren't so gentle anymore. They weren't so gentle anymore. All right. 
the little boat began to pitch and rock. The disciples began to get a little worried. But Jesus still lay sleeping in the front of the boat. Then the wind grew stronger still. The spray from the waves got the disciples all wet. This was getting to be a bad storm. That wasn't, no, sorry, that wasn't on the list. But, but, but Jesus still lay sleeping in the front of the boat. By the time the fishing boat reached the center of the lake, the wind had turned into an angry gale. Apparently the police were called. And that, <laughs> that whipped the waves so high. How high was it? They washed over the boat. The disciples were terrified. They thought they might drown. But Jesus still lay sleeping in the front of the boat. Finally, someone went and shook Jesus. Master, he cried, don't you care if we drown? Jesus looked around. He listened to the howling wind. He felt howling. All right. He felt the cold, stinging spray as waves crash over the little boat. Jesus saw the fear in the faces of his disciples. Then Jesus stretched out his arm to the wind and the waves and commanded, peace, be still. And all at once the wind died down and the waves became completely calm. Then he asked the disciples, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Jesus showed his power over the wind and the waves that day on the Sea of Galilee. And just as he cared for his disciples and that little storm-tossed boat, he will care for you. The end. Now, if this is your first day with us, yes, we act these out every week. No, not really. All right. But maybe the kids can help me with this one. One question about that story as we finish up. Toward the end there, when they came to him, they said, what was the question that, they, that Jesus asked the disciples after he had calmed the storm? Does anybody remember? Raise their hand. Noah. Where is your faith? Very nicely done. And that is the question we're going to be looking at this morning. Where is your faith? Now, it must have been pretty incredible for these men, these disciples, to be able to spend so much time with Jesus. They bore witness to incredible miracles during his ministry. They were being taught 
by the ultimate teacher. They were like VIPs amongst the crowd. They shared meals with Jesus. They were able to have personal coffee time with Jesus. Okay, maybe not coffee time, but they were able to spend personal time with Jesus. Imagine getting that kind of access to the Messiah in the flesh. And if you did get that access and you were able to have coffee with Jesus, and you poured out your heart in a Starbucks to Jesus in a a private setting, so maybe not Starbucks, but maybe you were able to talk to Jesus, sharing with him all that is sitting in your soul. He might just look you right in the eye, and with a warm smile ask, where is your faith? And you would sit back thoughtfully in your seat, and you'd say, huh, he's right. Of course he's right, he's Jesus. Where is your faith? That was the question for the disciples that day, and it's the question for us today as well. The disciples, well, they were, they were flawed men, and they were sometimes slow to learn the lessons that Jesus was teaching. They were sometimes slow to understand the miracles that he was performing, but I think we should cut them a little bit of slack. I mean, this was some pretty unprecedented stuff. Nobody had ever done these things. Nobody had ever said these things. So let's give them credit just for their desire to learn, to leave everything behind and follow this man who was claiming to be the Messiah. The problem was not that they didn't have faith. The problem was that they weren't using the faith that they had. It's a little like going to the store with your kids. I think I can relate with this, and I think a lot of you parents might be able to relate with this. One of them finds something that they like, and they bring it over to you, and they say, I want this. Will you buy it for me? And you might look down at that little face and say, well, where is your money? Because you know that you give them an allowance every week, and that, well, they have their own money. And what you're saying as the parent is, I know you have money, because I've given it to you. And now is the time for you to use that money. And so it is with our faith. Just like the money that we give to our children as an allowance, God has given us each faith. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. We don't conjure up faith on our own. We only have it because God gives it to us. And so there might be times that come on in your life that God says, I know that you have faith because I've given it to you. Now is the time to use that faith. Have you ever received a gift that you've never used? Now, I'm not talking about a gift you received that you didn't like, like the sweater from Aunt Shirley that you didn't want to wear because it was the ugliest thing on the rack. I'm talking about something that you received that was so precious, so valuable, that you didn't want to use it. Or maybe you've bought something, and instead of actually using it, you decide, ah, I don't want it to get messed up, and so you never actually use it. Maybe you grew up in a house where there was plastic on the couches, and those couches, though you may be deceived, they were not for sitting. Anybody ever grow up in a house that had one of these? Uh, one of the nicest couches ever and fully preserved in plastic seating. And even with the plastic on there, that couch was not for sitting. It was for cooking. Uh, in my house, we had something that was ironically called the living room, but no living ever took place there. In fact, as a child, you were not allowed to step foot in that room. And uh, there, the carpet was white, and you were not allowed to be in there. You're not pl- allowed to play in there. The couches were super nice, and they stayed super nice for decades because nobody ever sat on them. Uh, the only damage they received was maybe a little dust from time to time would get on there. 
Or, or maybe for you, you had a dad that collected baseball cards or action figures or, or trains or something like that. Maybe mom collected porcelain dolls, all things that as a kid looked like they were super cool. Man, I wish I could play with that. But they were kept up on the high shelf, so you could never touch it because they were collector's items. They were memories. Or maybe somebody gives you a set of crystal glasses for your wedding or fine china And you never use it. You never even take it out of the box because you know how expensive and valuable it is. And so it just sits. See, there are some times that we receive gifts that are never used. And it's easy for our faith to become like that too. It's a valuable gift from God. We realize the value of it. Yet often we just put it up on the high shelf just to sit there. It's just something for people to look at and admire and think, wow, that looks really nice. And it sits on that shelf and it gets dusty during the week and then we polish it up for Sunday when we know that people are going to be seeing it. But on the shelf it stays. Our faith cannot be uh, something that sits on the shelf all the time. Our faith cannot be like a plastic-covered sofa. See, our faith is like a muscle that has to be used in order to grow. If you treated your your body like your mom might treat her sofa, your muscles would be the epitome of atrophy. And, And so it is with your faith. The only way to work out your faith is in real everyday life, in real everyday situations. If you let your faith sit for too long, then when the hard times come, your faith will be so weak from the lack of exercise that tremendous doubt can creep in easily. Or worse yet... By that time, your faith is so weak that you've forgotten all about it. Where you once could face the storms of life with the confidence that Jesus has overcome the world, now it's a lot harder to believe that. And sadly, I think far too many Christians have had their faith up on the shelf for far too long. I think far too many Christians have seen the muscle mass of their faith drop dramatically, and it To take that analogy even farther, it can kind of creep up on you without you even knowing. See, if you if you worked out consistently every day or five times a week, man, you would get in better. You'd have better cardio. You'd be you could see definition in your muscle and activities would be a lot easier. But when you stop going for a few months, the next time you go to lift that heavy box, you might be in for a surprise. Whoo, it's a little heavier than I remember. Or you get a little winded quicker than you used to. And with the atrophy of your faith, you might find yourself questioning God just a little bit more. It might become a little bit easier to get overwhelmed with life, or a little bit harder to see God in the midst of whatever you're facing, or to believe that Jesus really does love me despite anything that I've done or what I'm going through. See, I think far too many of us are suffering right now from a stalled growth in our faith. And maybe that's what the disciples were dealing with that day on the boat when Jesus asked them, where is your faith? Because when we're dealing with a faith that was once strong but is now weak, and we cry out to Jesus about our circumstances, he might ask, where is your faith? You ever notice that about Jesus? That frustrating part about Jesus? He always answered a question with a question. He was the king of that. He was the king of all things, but he was the king of that for sure. And one reason that that can be kind of frustrating is because it forces you to think. See, I went in just expecting a straight, easy answer, Jesus. I just, why is this happening? Just tell me. Bring it on to me straight. 
But he doesn't give you the, this easy, straight answer. He doesn't give you the answer, the simple answer you seek, and it goes deeper than the level that you were on. And you have to do the work to get there. Sometimes we don't like that work. We don't like what it reveals. So when we cry out and say, why didn't you show up for me? Why weren't you there for me? Why did you let this happen to me? If you love me, why did this happen? And Jesus responds, where is your faith? See, when he responds that way, you're forced to think about the implied question of, do you not trust me enough to believe that I have your best interest in mind? Do you not trust me to believe, enough to believe that I love you despite the circumstances in your life? Do you not trust me enough to believe that I'm still working on this? See, we're forced to confront the fact that our faith has grown weak, that we might be suffering from a stalled growth of our faith. And so let's talk about what we can do to fix that. Let's talk about what we can do to grow our faith in the midst of a storm. And as you might have already guessed, we got three ways that we can do that this morning. And number one is to factor in the ability of God. As we talked about earlier, the disciples, well, they've seen some amazing things when they've been hanging out with Jesus. While they're traveling around with him in his ministry, they've seen things that nobody's ever done. They've seen his power over demons. They've seen his power over disease, his power over death, and his power over sin. You might have been expecting a fourth D, but that, I couldn't make that happen. I'm sorry. But the disciples were eyewitnesses to all of these things and more, yet we see here in Luke 8 that they weren't able to translate all that they'd seen, all that they'd experienced into a faith of their own during the storm. Isn't that something? I mean, you read through the Gospels and you're like, how? I mean, they they saw all this stuff, yet they're panicking that Jesus is going to let them drown when the storm hits. They had seen the power of Jesus on full display, had seen him do things that nobody had ever done, yet panic sets in, even with Jesus on the boat. But aren't we kind of the same way? I mean, we could see miracles upon miracles in the lives of others. Ways that Jesus has shown up in big ways, ways that he has transformed lives, and yet, I mean, we we could experience it ourselves. We could see Jesus come through in the clutch for us over and over again, answering our prayers and showering us with tremendous blessings. And yet we allow panic to set in when the boat starts rocking, when things aren't going the way that we had hoped, when the events of the world cause our anxieties to rise. If I'm being honest with you this morning, this happened to me last Saturday evening, not last night, but the week before. Now you... You may or may not know that my son Asher, he uh, struggles with autoimmune deficiencies. And there have been times where he has been sick for just months at a time. No relief. And he does, it's not like hospital sick, but it's like he just can't kick the cold. Like it's just snot everywhere. And basically there are times when his body can't fight off the infection on his own. And so he has to go in on an antibiotic. And some, you know, over time that loses its effectiveness. And it's just an ongoing thing. And so when COVID became a reality, well, we were concerned about what might happen to him if he ever got it. I mean, when your son can't fight off the common cold, how is COVID going to affect him? But then there was a blessing because it wasn't really affecting kids. And I was like, all right, this is great. And, and what was really cool by the grace of God last year may have actually been the healthiest that he's ever been. But now this Delta variant is a part of our lives, and it seems to be more dangerous for kids. 
And you know what? I, I don't want to debate really. Maybe masks work. Maybe they don't. But I probably would have been more comfortable with kids in Asher's class being forced to wear them. And so then last week, when I started hearing news of emergency board meetings and overturning decisions, I, I found myself getting a little fearful and anxious. A little angry last week when, when it appeared things weren't going to go the way that I had hoped. I was struggling. But then I started listening to some music that night, and the first song that came on was the song Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham. It's a great song if you've never heard it. And it was just a really good reminder for me as a Christ follower that in the chaos of the world, when things aren't going my way, the battle belongs to him. And I think it would do all of us well to never forget that. <clears throat> so the disciples, they wake Jesus up. And they're in full-on panic mode. Master, master, we're going to drown. Don't you care? Why are you sleeping? In the same way, we call out to Jesus in full-on panic mode. Jesus, where are you? How could you be letting this? Don't you see what's going on in my life? And I think his response to us is the same as it was for the disciples. Where is your faith? Hear me this morning. Whatever storm you're going through right now, I want you to know the truth, that God is able. Doesn't matter what it looks like, God is able. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, we did our focus first this morning on it, that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And so what are your storms right now? What are your fears and anxieties right now? Whatever you're facing this morning, have you factored in the ability of God. Jesus says in Matthew 19 that with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. But do you really believe that? Are you living that out? Are you leaning on him, the rock of ages, or are you trying to go it alone? Or are you out there trying to do it your way first before you come back to him? Wherever you are, never forget to factor in the ability of God. Because if you want to grow your faith, you have to embrace the truth that God is able. Second way to grow your faith in the, in the storms of life is maybe the hardest one, and that's to submit to the sovereignty of God. And this is so important, but boy, is it so hard sometimes. As Christ followers, we have to remember that not only is God able, but also that He's in complete control, and His ways are so far above our ways. He is sovereign over all. So if you factor in his ability without understanding his sovereignty, then you're probably going to have some complaints and frustrations in your life. See, for us as Christ followers, one of our biggest questions when it comes to faith is why? That's why so many people leave. Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God do this? Why does God operate on this level? And I think that it's because we factored in God's ability without understanding his sovereignty. In fact, let me talk to you for a minute here this morning. You may not like this too much. I don't like to hear it either. But have you considered that God could be the one who brought you into the storm that you're facing right now? See, we struggle with that. Because sometimes we get it in our mind that as Christ followers, we shouldn't have any storms at all. Some people preach that. So we start believing that. We start thinking we should be highly favored and not have to go through these storms. And then we think, okay, well, God's just allowing me to go through this storm. But one thing that blew my mind a little bit when I was getting ready for today is, 
what if God is leading me into the storm? See, there's a rather innocent part of this Luke 8 story that we've gone through this morning where Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. That's at the very beginning of this passage. And you read that and you're like, okay, it's just setting it up. They're getting ready for, you're setting up the part of the storm. Now, do you think that Jesus was surprised by the storm that would rise up just a little bit later? He knew when he said that what was coming. He led the disciples into the storm. J.C. Ryle was an 18th century theologian, and he said a lot about this. He said that trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. He goes on to say, The harvest of the Lord's field is seldom ripened by the sunshine only. It must go through its days of wind, rain, and storm. And in a sermon on this passage in Luke 8, Ryle said, The storms of winter often bring out the defects in a man's dwelling, and sickness often exposes the gracelessness of a man's soul. Surely anything that makes us find out the real character of our faith is good. Friends, we were never promised a storm-free life. Honestly, I'm not sure we could grow in our faith without the storms. So oftentimes the storm... Is God's plan for you to grow, for your faith to grow. And so he may be using the storms to shape us. The ones we're in right now, he's shaping our faith through them. He's jump-starting and growing our stalled faith. And he never promised us that the journey would be easy, but he does promise that if we keep moving, we will reach the destination. Does Luke 8 say he took them out on the lake and the storm came and they sank? No, He calmed it, and they reached the other side eventually. If God brings you into the storm, he will get you to the other side if you stick with him. And so in order to grow our faith, we have to factor in his ability, and then we have to submit to his sovereignty. The third way to grow our faith in the storm is to trust in the goodness of God. Back to Luke chapter 8, I almost imagine that disciples woke Jesus up, and when they did, he stretched his arms out like, and he yawned, and and they took care of the storms. And as soon as he asked them the question, where is your faith? The disciples looked at one another, and it's like they slapped their their, their hand on their forehead and said, oh yeah, right, we're with Jesus. How silly of us. I mean, you got this, Jesus. What were we thinking? We got caught up in the moment. We panicked. We're good now. Luke says, in Luke 8, he says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, maybe it was a different emphasis. Maybe it was like, <laughs> it was like who is this? This is Jesus. I mean, he, can, he commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. He got this. I mean, maybe they're high-fiving one another, like, oh, yeah, this is great. You see, the very reason that we are able to factor in the ability of God and then submit to the sovereignty of God is because we know that we have a God who truly cares for us. Without that last part, the first two things are much harder to believe, but it's a lot easier to have a faith in a God who loves you, who's, in fact, crazy in love with you, and that he wants the best for you. Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. 
And so whatever you're going through this morning, whether it's a storm produced by this sinful, evil, fallen world that, is allow, or that he is allowing you to go through, or a storm that he is intentionally taking you through, know that God is with you in every storm. And he's working it all out for your good. Never forget that. Because in order to get the good result, you have to take your faith off the shelf and put it into practice. See, many people go through storms and don't come out on the other side with a stronger faith. They keep that faith up on the shelf and they start panicking. They come out with a stalled faith. See, we don't want that to be us. We want a growing faith that can overcome the hints of doubt and fear. And so in response to the storms of life, we begin to think with faith. And we begin to pray with faith. And we begin to speak with faith. We begin to serve with faith. And we begin to live with faith. I don't know about you, but I believe in a God who still heals, who still restores, who still saves, who still makes a way, who's still rolling stones away. And I hope that you do too. And never forget the love that he has for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come into this room this morning from all kinds of different places. Some of us walked in here on the highest mountaintop. Some of us walked in here this morning in the lowest valley we've ever seen. Some of us are going through days of sunshine right now, and some of us are being battered down by the hurricane. But Father, the truth that I hope we all know is that you are the God of the mountain, you are the God of the valley. It doesn't matter what's going on in life, your love for us remains the same. And I hope this morning that if we didn't believe it already, that we would leave here knowing that your love is not contingent upon the circumstances of our life. The circumstances of our life, the storms of our life do not dictate whether you love us or not. Your love remains the same forever. And it's because of that love that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for each one of us. Because without that, this would be it. And that would be a sad reality. But then you sent your son Jesus. And he came for each one of us. Though it was 2,000 years ago, he came for us even today. Because we needed him to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us, to cover our sins and his blood, that they would be forgiven and that he would die and be risen three days later so that we would have eternal hope, that we would get to spend eternity with you, that there's something beyond this world and beyond the storms of this life. And so, Father, whatever condition we come in this morning, I pray that we'd be able to see the goodness of you that we would know that you are able, that we would know that you are sovereign and know better than us in every situation, but that we would always remember how good you truly are, how much you truly love us, so that we can have the faith that though we cannot see, we know that you're still there. 
Father, thank you for that love. Thank you for your grace. Most of all, thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've come this morning and not, have not ever made the decision to make Christ the Lord of your life, there is no better day than today to make that decision. Say, I want to come and be baptized in front of these witnesses and say, I have given my life over to him forever. He is the king of my life. I am trusting him as my savior. And I want to come out a new creation in him. Leave my old life behind and a new life of hope and following him. You know, we've talked about storms a lot this morning. Who's to say what would have happened to the disciples that day if Jesus wasn't with them? They might have gotten out there in the storms and they would have been in full-on panic mode. The boat might have sank. The boat might have turned over. You know, there's all kinds of range of outcomes, but the point is they might not have made it. But Jesus was the only way that they made it across the lake that day. And it is for us, in the storms of our life, the only hope we have that there's something beyond this world comes through Jesus Christ. That's not me. That's him saying that. He said, I am the only way to the Father. I am the truth, the way, and the life. And so the sobering reality is without Jesus, this would be all there was. We would only know death and sickness and pain and tears. But then Jesus came and provided a way for us to go beyond this life, to have, to spend eternity with the Father in a place where there is no more pain and there is no more sickness and there are no more tears. But if we've never given our life over to Him, we don't have that. And to me, that is the greatest reason to give your life to Christ. Not so that you'll have blessings in this world, not so that you have an easy life in this world, but so that we one day will be with Him forever and there will be none in this. So if you've never given your life over to him, I, I pray that you would do that this morning. And today's the greatest day to make the greatest decision of your life. If you're going through a storm right now and you just need prayer, that's one of the other gifts. Jesus was the ultimate gift. One of the other gifts that we've been given is the power of prayer. And the ability to go to our Father and say, I need your help right now. I'm beaten down. I'm struggling right now. I need your help. And so I'd love to pray with you this morning. Go to the Father and involve Him in whatever situation you're going through. Not that it will be taken all away right then, but it's better than not. I don't understand all the mysteries of how God works, but I know that He says, come to me with all that you have. So let's do that. Let's, let's pray and involve Him in whatever's going on. And if you, so if you have prayer, I'd love to talk to you down here in front. Maybe after the service you want to come or sometime during the week. You can always scan our QR codes around and submit a prayer request there. We'd love to pray over what's going on in your life. So I'll be down front here if you have a decision to make or if you just need some prayer this morning. Uh, but I just ask that all of you sing, stand and sing our final song together.